Sky Q really does have everything I love. I get all the Sky TV channels and great original shows like I Hate Susie and exclusives like Your Honor. Together with all of Netflix and it's only 30 euro a month. I've also got my favourite apps and catch-up TV in one place. Sky Q just makes life easy. So you actually get quite a lot for less than you might think. Just 30 euro a month. Search Sky 30 today. New Sky TV customers only set up fees, minimum terms and further terms apply. And welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and today our guest is Robert Goodwill, the MP for Scarborough and Whitley. Hi, Robert. Thank you so much for being with us. No, my pleasure. It's really, really good to get you on because as we speak, it's the first few days back in Parliament. I've been wandering around today and it's all been a bit quiet, really. How's it been for you? It's weird because although um, quite a lot of MPs are here, there's still some shielding at home. But very few staff are in, so um, uh, so, so the library staff aren't around. So it is quite unusual that uh, we're in this building but rattling around, which of course is good for social distancing. Yeah, of course, absolutely. Now, we're back after summer, as we just said. What did you spend your summer doing? Well, we had a short break. Uh, in North Yorkshire. <laughs> uh, we went up to Hawes. Uh, I mean, it's wonderful up there in, in Rishi Sunak's constituency. Mm-hmm. And we stayed at the Simon Stone Hall Hotel, which is the famous one where Jeremy Clarkson oh. managed to thump somebody and get sacked from Top <laughs> Gear. And there's a plaque on the wall in the hotel. But we had the most wonderful um, uh, three days. Um, we, we, well, the weather wasn't perfect, but uh, we're big walkers. So my wife and I went for a walk around the Ribblehead Viaduct. But unfortunately, uh, halfway around the walk, we were reading the guide, and it said, if you look over the wall, that is Yorkshire. So it accidentally strayed into Lancashire. No, which was never, not. <laughs> which was never, never the intention, but yes, but, but I would, there's a wonderful five or six mile walk starting at the Ribblehead Viaduct, and, and it, the, the views were fantastic, and um, despite a little bit of dampness, it was great. And the food at the uh, Sandstone was superb, local uh, locally sourced produce from Yorkshire and then we went to the Wensydale Creamery and, and bought lots of cheese and on the way back we called in at Leyburn where there's an amazing butcher shop and we got stocked up with steak and all sorts of health food. It's, I was called butcher shops health food shops. Uh, you and I both stopping at the Wensydale Creamery this summer then because I also stopped there on my way back from the Lake District ah, so yeah. it's, it's had a good custom from the both of us. Now that sounds like a lovely holiday, but I'm sure it's not all been holidays because there's been lots going on, hasn't there, as well? No, I mean, when you read the Daily Mail, if I can mention an inferior newspaper I'll on the Yorkshire Post, uh, it says MPs are now going for their five-week summer holiday, mm-hmm. and, and MPs' wives roll their eyes and say, if only they knew that actually <laughs> the, the, the summer break is the opportunity to, to actually get around the constituency and, and get to the places you wouldn't necessarily get to. So, um, for example, on the 4th of July, the day that all the restaurants opened, we went to Scarborough and had a meal uh, to show solidarity yeah. with those restaurateurs who had a very tough time. Um, we've had a lot of businesses that have been struggling because of lockdown. Um, and while some businesses now, I mean, guest houses in Whitby are, are booked out, Scarborough's doing well as, as well, that the restaurants are now, albeit with maybe not as many customers at a time, they're still going. But there's still something, I mean, coach operators, it's been terrible for them. When, yeah. when was the last time you saw anybody 
uh, on a coach. Um, oh, I can't even think of it. Uh, in fact, on on the way back from uh, Hawes, we passed a, a coach company, and they were they were just parked in the yard, nose to tail, probably a dozen coaches. Um, so it's been really tough for those people. Yeah. Um, we've also, of course, had um, problems at uh, the Plaxtons uh, bus and coach factory in Scarborough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been, a, I think, 90 redundancies announced there, which isn't good news. But fortunately, you know, we, we've got off lightest. The, the Guildford plant has been closed completely, and there's been more redundancies at the Falkirk plant in Scotland. Yeah. Um, that's down actually to the hard work of the Scottish, of, of the uh, Scarborough workforce, because actually they um, they can build buses cheaper than they can in Scotland. Ah, I uh, when see. I asked why. Uh, they said, well, they are on a slightly lower wage, but it's about productivity. They actually can produce more buses than they, than, than they can in Scotland in the same time. <laughs> well, that's what you get for uh, Yorkshire workmanship, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, but we've been working very hard over the summer. Uh, we've, we're just in the process of forming an all-party bus and coach group oh. with um, my mate Ian Paisley, who represents Ballymena, where they make the, the right bus. Of uh, the only two double-decker producers in, in the world, I think. Uh, and uh, we, we're trying to get the, the government have announced um, three billion pounds for greener buses. We want that to get that money actually quickly onto the order books because we can make electric buses in Scarborough. They can make hydrogen buses in Northern Ireland, and we know we're going to need buses when 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 it's over. We're not going to need green buses not only for our carbon footprint but also for air quality in our town centres. So. Um, uh, we've been working very hard uh, within the, the, the group of us and John McNally from Scotland with the SNP. So it's been a genuine cross-party uh, operation to see what we can do to get those bus orders coming through. Yeah. I've also been working very closely with the uh, Anglo-American Mining Company, which took over the Sirius project. Uh, and there's been quite a few developments there. Their relationship with their main contractor has finished and they're now employing people directly. So they've had f- three between three and 500 people working right through lockdown. Uh, on that site, uh, just outside Whitby, and with the backing of what is a you know a solid blue chip company, they own De Beers uh, Diamonds in in South Africa. They're, they're the biggest platinum producer in the world. So you know they're a big solid British based company. Don't be taken in by the word American. They're actually <laughs> a British company, uh, and so we've been uh, making sure that um, through lockdown uh, we've been able to advise them. They have some key. Um, workers who, who fly in from Austria and Germany, for example. Every couple of weeks, they, they go back home and we're ensuring that they got an exemption from the quarantine rules because you know they had to go straight to work. And, and actually, they've been very good at, at maintaining their biosecurity at the site and they haven't had um, cases, yeah. uh, unlike some other factories for, around the country. And we were talking, weren't we, before, before we hit record today, and we were saying that actually, North Yorkshire has got off quite... I wouldn't want to say lightly because I'm sure there's still been a lot of heartache for a lot of people. But in ter- when you look at other areas in the country, the area hasn't suffered so badly from coronavirus cases as, as some might have feared. I mean, we, we, we've had problems in care homes and sadly people have lost their lives and, and it's been desperately sad. Uh, but since the peak, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen sort of, you know, three or even fewer cases per 100,000 people over... 
uh, a seven-day period. Uh, and, and I think that's been down to the common sense of the people in our part of North Yorkshire. I mean, most of North Yorkshire has had very low levels of infection because people have understood the rules, they've respected the rules, and they've protected themselves and their families. So, you know, we're not in sort of like places like Manchester and Leicester. We haven't had those extra lockdowns imposed because people, you know, despite the fact Scarborough's quite, you know, a big conurbation, we've got some housing estates, etc., etc. Uh, we've seen low levels of infection, single cases or maybe a couple of cases, uh, and that's been really, really encouraging for people to sort of have the confidence to get out into restaurants, get out into shops, and of course to send their children to school. Well, it's a massive relief, isn't it? Because I know one of, and you are, you are more than aware, I'm sure, that one of the big sectors that lots of us have been worried about and governments have been worried about is kind of tourism and hospitality, and that's clearly massive for your part of the world, but it sounds like they have got a bit of a fighting chance at really getting back up to strength if these cases can stay quite low. Yes, I mean, a friend of mine was saying that they'd been talking to somebody on holiday in Whitby Mm -hmm. and they'd had to actually book three different places to stay for a week because everything in Whitby was booked solid. Wow. They'd had to stay in a guest house for three days and then in a hotel and and what have you. And, of course, the self-contained accommodation, the cottages and and flats, are really in demand because people can stick together as their family unit and... uh, and, and protect themselves. Mm. So we have seen, uh, particularly, you know, takeaway fish and chips has been doing well. Uh, the hotels are, you know, uh, filling up slowly, but but certainly the the, the accommodation is um, is doing really well. And you know, the big worry was that we, in effect we'd have three winters. Yeah. You know, because the, the, particularly in Scarborough, which is a very seasonal resort, you know, if we'd had no trade at all over summer these uh, holiday businesses would be facing, in effect, three consecutive winters, and many of them maybe wouldn't have survived. Yeah, absolutely. It can be ruinous for sectors like that, but it does seem like there's some kind of hope on the horizon. And, you know, this pandemic clearly carries on, but Parliament's back to deal with it. What kind of things are coming up that you are going to be getting stuck into, both, I suppose, on coronavirus response and other things in coming weeks. What can your constituents look out for? Well, I actually am um, uh, going to be on the uh, bill committee of the fishing. Ah, of course. The fishing bill. In fact, I spoke in the debate last night. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Tuesday the 2nd, mm-hmm. if you want to look at the Hansard. And <laughs> uh, basically saying that, you know, you could argue during the referendum whether it was good or bad thing for manufacturing, good or bad thing for agriculture, but... You know, I, despite what the SNP was saying, you know, they want to give back control of fishing to Brussels. You know, I did not meet a single fisherman. I've never meet, met a single fisherman or woman in my entire life who thought that the common fisheries policy was a good thing mm-hmm. and that joining the European Union uh, had been good for fishing. So we now have we're an independent coastal state. We have a 200 mile limit. And we'll be like Norway. So we'll be negotiating on an annual basis how we can... Um, set the level of fishing pressure that allows stocks to um, continue to thrive. And then based on what's called zonal attachment, so fish don't know where the 200-mile limit is. So if you've got a fish stock that, that shares waters between, say, Norway, UK and the European Union, we have to then divvy up who can catch what where. And, and that's that's what's happened before. And, and Norway, I think, is a good example of how that, uh, that has worked. So I, I'm very... Um, hopeful that we can get um, the bill onto the statute book, 
uh, and then we can go into the negotiations just before Christmas and get a good deal. The other thing we need to do in terms of fishing, it's not within the scope of the bill, we need to get a good trade deal. Sure. Because not many people know this, but we import most of the fish that we eat okay. and we export most of the fish that we catch. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the cod that you'll be served in a fish and chip shop in Yorkshire um, possibly or probably will have been caught in Icelandic waters by an Icelandic vessel, shipped down to Grimsby and maybe processed then or, or put into the market. Um, and the sort of species that we catch a lot of in the North Sea, things like John Dory, Megrim, Ling, Safe, uh, and the flatfish, Doversol, a lot of those fish are actually exported to um, France and, and Spain. And of course, in my own constituency, um, Whitby and Scarborough and Bridlington in particular are big shellfish ports. And we have an amazingly productive uh, crab and lobster fishery mm-hmm. off the coast. And a lot of those, the majority of those, are exported to lucrative markets in France and Spain. And they're exported live in tanks. So you can't have bureaucracy, you can't have delays. Those, those lorries need to go straight through the channel uh, well, straight through on a boat or, 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 or through the tunnel <laughs> and, and get to markets quickly. And, and even, a, you know, a, an eight-hour delay can mean uh, dead lobster in the tanks, uh, which are not marketable. No, and I'm really glad you explained that, But actually, because we hear a lot about fishing, don't we? And we know that it's important to the area, and you, we keep hearing in these negotiations with the EU on this post-Brexit trade that fisheries and fishing is something that's really kind of holding up these negotiations it's kind of a red line on both sides but I think it gets quite confusing for people who maybe aren't like you know you and I who spend Mm. our days with our noses buried in these things yeah well I was fisheries minister for six months so I I was completely (laughs) uh, um, and and what we need to as well is is understand that the trade deal is different to the fishing deal the fishing deal will be an annual negotiation and and we can over time get back control of more of the fish because more than half the fish in the North Sea are caught by foreign vessels uh, because, funny enough, when we joined the European Union, all the big trawlers out of Fleetwood, Hull and Grimsby were up in Icelandic waters. Ah, and of course the Atlantic's imposed a 200 mile limit. Mm-hmm. We had the Cod Wars, we had, you know, we had Icelandic gunboats and the British Navy, yeah. you know, they were trying to cut the nets and, and everything. So unfortunately, because the way that the um, quota was initially allocated, what was called relative stability, they looked at what people had been catching and that was the basis. And of course, we hadn't been catching fish in the North Sea. We'd been steaming up to Iceland and the Faroes and, and, and other distant waters to catch the fish there. But they're entirely different things to the trade deal. And the trade deal, yes, we do need to get a good deal for agricultural products and a good deal for fish. But also the Germans want to get a good deal for their motor cars, which um, I mean, I, I'm I've not a German motor car, but um, there's no reason why people shouldn't buy British motor cars, actually. But, um, uh, but yeah, if people want to buy a Porsche, then, you know, they won't be paying uh, a lot of duty on it. And if we want to export our even better Jaguar Land Rover cars, uh, we don't want to have a 10% uh, uh, tariff uh, to make them price them out of the market. Yeah, absolutely. And before we just kind of move on from fishing, it sounds like, you know, the fisheries bill that we're talking about could be really good for people... In North Yorkshire as well. That's kind. Of, it's, it sounds like that there there will be positive moves for people there. Is that the case? That's right. I mean, we we have Whitby based trawlers which mm-hmm. are fishing off uh, Scottish uh, ports and, and landing their fish in Fraserburgh or Peterhead, because um, one way that we limit fishing pressure is by limiting days at sea. So it wouldn't make sense for them to steam all the way down from uh, Scotland to 
Hartlepool to land the catch because they can put it on a lorry and, and have it into you know English supermarkets uh, even quicker. Uh, and we do need to control fishing pressure because you know I mean we're farmers and if if if, if I went into my field and and uh, sent half the breeding stock for slaughter, then I wouldn't be surprised at all next year when I didn't get any lambs. Yeah. And that's what we need to make sure that we have the juvenile stock there, which will be the producing the the the, 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 the eggs and the and the young fish for, for for next year. And that's if you look at places like, for example, the Canadian Grand Banks, where they overfish their cod, that that has, has crashed and there is no cod there. Yeah, absolutely. Now you mentioned there your farming background, so mm-hmm. I'm just going to pick up on that a bit because that's you know very important, clearly for the country but also North Yorkshire and we're moving towards aren't we this new system of payments for farmers what do you make of this this is as we kind of phase out isn't it the subsidies that farmers have got under under being part of the EU and introducing this new system where farmers are really rewarded for looking after the environment things like building habitats and you know doing flood defences what do you what do you make of those as a farmer yourself? Well, I, as I said, this time last year I was um, at DEFRA. Um, as, I, you know, I started in January, so I, but, but last year I was at DEFRA. And you know, as Agriculture Minister, we were looking at how this is going to work in practice. Under the current system, the, the BPS, the Basic Payment Scheme, you get paid money for being a farmer. You do have environmental uh, sort of um, cross-compliance, as they call it. So, you know, you have to allow your hedges to grow and you, you have to have a two-metre strip around each field. And you can get additional payments under stewardship schemes. On my farm, we've got a stewardship schemes, mm-hmm. so we've, we're growing nectar and, and flowers, and it's actually all, all quite lovely. nice. Yeah. So what's going to happen is, over a seven-year period, we're going to switch from the BPS scheme to the ELM scheme, the mm. Environmental Land Management Scheme. So... Uh, for example, we might start paying the farmer for the hedges, not for the um, the, the fields themselves. Fine. We may uh, certainly, I mean, on my own farm, we're going to plant a hedge this this winter. We're going to get £10 a metre for doing it. So it's quite a good opportunity to enhance the environment. And I think farmers uh, like us, who have kept most of their hedges, are going to benefit from that. And farmers who were out with the bulldozers in the 1960s, yeah. taking advantage of EU grants to do that, knocking out their hedges... Uh, they're going to see an incentive to plant those hedges. And as you say, there's other schemes, for example, uh, controlling flood water mm-hmm. by you know, retaining water, maybe a little bit of rewilding, maybe more tree planting so we can have carbon sequestration into the trees. So there's a lot of different um, ways in which we can do that. And that will go in seven equal steps over the seven years, switching from 100% BPS to 100% ELMS. Mm-hmm. I am a little worried that because of the disruption that coronavirus has um, made, that we might not be ready to start. And that in the bill, there was a, a, a provision that we could delay. Kind of shunt it back a little shunt bit. Shunt it back. And I, th- I, I, I think we should probably do that mm-hmm. because we need to make sure if we are paying money to farmers to enhance the environment, that you know before we start doing that big time, we need to have pilots. And there are some sure. there's one in Wensedale, for example. Um, we need to make sure that's actually going to work. So my, I would suggest strongly that we should maybe delay maybe the first year or maybe do the, do the first year, well, a seventh of it, but maybe have a bit of a delay so we can be sure we're doing the right thing. So I wouldn't like to see public money squandered and, and, and the whole ELM system being um, 
being seen as a waste of money. Yeah, because uh, there are some concerns, aren't there, from, from some farmers that there might be this gap between the old system ending and the new one beginning. And I suppose it's making sure that no one is missing out in that period as well. That's right. I mean, it's going to be a transition. And actually, you know, on my own farm, we have, we have a high-level stewardship scheme. So sure. we are already doing many of the things that you would do for that. Um, but you know, we do need to make sure that it works. We need to also make sure that, for example, that farmers are getting the money and not maybe the national parks who will be organising some big scheme and taking a lot of admin costs and, and, and organisational and uh, uh, to make sure that people, you know, particularly the, the, the hill farmers, mm-hmm. and I mean my constituency, we have a lot of hill farmers, now you know, they really do need support. Without some support, there would not be farmers on the hills. Mm-hmm. And it would be even more expensive than subsidising those farmers to pay national park wardens yeah. to maintain the hedges and the, the walls and, and the heather moorland and everything else. So I think it's a great opportunity. And actually, I think what I think I said during the um, passage of the Agriculture Bill, that what I'd like to see is a scheme that if a future Labour government decided they were going to axe it and stop paying money for farm because... In the past, if anyone suggested that farmers would lose their money, mm. you'd get a load of French peasant farmers burning tyres in the road. Yeah, and yeah, what, yeah. Now, you know, it, it, it would be possible for a future Labour government to cut these important subsidies which maintain communities and maintain the environment in, in, in some of these areas. And I'd like to see the situation that if anyone ever suggested cutting these environmental land management green payments, that it would be Friends of the Earth and Greenpeace who would be demonstrating, no, 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 you can't, because we can see the benefits for species, we can see the benefits for habitats, we can see the benefits for carbon sequestration, and and wider benefits within communities of keeping those people working on the land, keeping those village schools full of kids, because the people are still working there, keeping the pubs open over winter. So community, I think, depends in many of those remote areas, particularly on the North Yorkshire Moors, we do need that level of support to deliver or what actually the wider population expect to see being being there. Absolutely. It's definitely getting that balance, isn't it? And making sure it it works for everyone. And so there's loads of stuff going on that's really important for North Yorkshire at the moment. So we've got fisheries we've spoken about, agriculture we've spoken about, and the other one is devolution that's on my list. Now, listeners who I'm sure are also Yorkshire Post readers will no doubt be keeping up with it, but North Yorkshire is basically wanting a devolution deal like West Yorkshire has got, like South Yorkshire has got. But to do that, the government has said that they need to do some local government reorganisation and have a bit of a shake-up and introduce unitary authorities. Now, maybe not authorities, maybe one, maybe two, who knows, there are proposals going forward. I imagine that you're all for more devolution for North Yorkshire, are you? Am I right in saying that? Well, let's go back a step, because I was actually very much in favour of the one Yorkshire bit, so we'd have a Mayor of Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, the the South Bank of the Humber could decide if they wanted to be in or not. But uh, And, and, you know, working with people like Dan Jarvis, the Mayor of South Yorkshire, uh, I thought it would be a great opportunity for our county to have a Mayor, in the same way they've got Andy Burnham in Greater Manchester, or Andy Street in Birmingham, or indeed the Mayor of London, so that Yorkshire would, I mean, you know, we're bigger than Scotland. Mm-hmm. So the mayor of, of Yorkshire would then be in a position, for example, if there was a trade mission going to Japan, you know, the mayor of Yorkshire would almost certainly be on the plane with the prime minister selling Yorkshire as a place to do business, selling our products, our food, etc., etc. So I was disappointed that we couldn't get political agreement that we would have 
a one Yorkshire mayor, or even we could have had what they call Greater Yorkshire, yeah. which bizarrely was smaller than one Yorkshire. <laughs> um, so, and, and before we before we just move on from that, I think you can see how powerful that position might have been during this pandemic when you've seen people like Andy Burnham at the forefront of discussions about Greater Manchester, for example. He's really been banging the drum and been holding all the daily press conferences and things like that. And I guess that same thing could have happened for Yorkshire. Yeah, because if, if you talk to people and say, who's your councillor? They often don't know. I mean, some of them don't even know their MP is. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, most people in Manchester know that Andy Burnham's the mayor. Yeah. Uh, most People in London know who the mayor is. They certainly know who the mayor was. Yes. <laughs> uh, and before that. So I think it would have been a good opportunity to have somebody who was directly elected by the people, who, if they weren't happy with, they could get rid of. But it wasn't to be. But we're going to have a mayor of North Yorkshire. Yes. And I think that would be a, a good opportunity, maybe not on quite the same scale as a mayor of the whole Yorkshire region, but somebody who can uh, look at strategic issues, work with the other mayors in Yorkshire and across the country to ensure that we get our fair share of particularly transport infrastructure, mm. broadband and all the rest, you know, so to make sure we do have somebody influential uh, covering North Yorkshire. But of course, if we introduce a new layer of government in, in the mayor... We really need to take something away. Yeah. And at the moment in North Yorkshire, we have North Yorkshire County Council and we have borough councils like Scarborough Borough, Rydale District, Hamilton, etc. So I think it makes a lot of sense to go for some sort of unitary mm-hmm. authority, not least because most people are very confused about which council does what. Yes, yes. Even I get confused sometimes about, you know, so for example, in Scarborough, North Yorkshire's the Highways Authority, but Scarborough's parking. Um, Scarborough's planning authority, but planning for things like mining and gravel extraction is the county. And indeed, it's even more confusing because quite a substantial number of our borough councillors are also county councillors. Of course, they sit on both, don't they? They sit on both. They're double-hatted, as they say. So I think it makes a lot of sense. I think there's general agreement in my constituency that moving to some sort of unitary straight status would be the way forward. And there seems to be two... um, uh, suggestions on the table. There's the You're politer than me. I've been saying it's a bit of a bun fight. North Yorkshire are suggesting that North Yorkshire County Council should be the unitary. Mm-hmm. They already spend 80% of the money. They actually have, I know we all complain about the council, but actually they're one of the very best councils in the country. Their children's services are the only one ever to have been given outstanding on every single yes. item assessed. Uh, they're, they're good at delivering all the stuff they do. Uh, obviously, it's a Conservative-controlled council. Of you course, yes, that. But yes. there, there are Conservative-controlled <laughs> councils that are useless in other parts of the country. Yeah. They're doing a good job. And then City of York, which is already a unitary authority, which is actually a little bit on the small side. Yeah. But to be fair, they're, they're doing not a bad job of delivering for the people of York. So you would have, as the county's suggestion is, York would be a unitary, North Yorkshire would be a unitary, and you'd have the mayor covering both York and North Yorkshire. Now, the county understand that there are concerns about the size of North Yorkshire, yeah. which is why I suggested uh, on, a, on a conference call with Carl Les that we should look at having more power for parish and town councils. Mm. And of course, at the moment, all of my constituency is covered by parish councils, apart from Scarborough itself. I see. So uh, if we do go that way, I'd like to see a Scarborough Town Council 
And I'd like to see that town council being given a revenue stream by, for example, having car parks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they've got income coming in from that, maybe other uh, assets that they could own. And I think Harrogate's also another one that doesn't have uh, its own parish or town council. So I think that would give people that first step of local democracy. And also the county have said that in things like planning, they'd have local area committees. So you wouldn't have somebody from Bentham, 12 miles from the Irish Sea, sitting on a committee deciding on a planning application in in Whitby, which is four hours drive away. So they would certainly not, on their Sunday afternoon, go and have a quick look at the site to see what they thought. (laughs) So that's the county's proposal. And I think that that promises to save quite a lot of money, uh, having fewer councillors, having fewer senior officers. And then the boroughs have come in with their countermeasure, which is seems to be a sort of a, a Yorkshire East and a Yorkshire, North Yorkshire East and it North is, Yorkshire yeah, West. It's an East-West split, isn't it? Now, I'm not sure whether this council, which would be Selby, York, Rydale and Scarborough, is something that York itself would want. Mm, yeah. So I think they're trying to impose that. But it's an alternative. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the more I think about it, I'm, the more I quite like the county's suggestion. But... Um, you know, let's let's hear what they have to say. Let's look at the figures because this is about saving money, and then can be deployed to give people better services. Absolutely. And where we go now is those proposals are submitted by oh, sometime this month, I believe, to to the minister, to Rob Jenrick, who then decides kind of which one they prefer, and then we go on to a consultation. So things yes. are moving for devolution. Yes, I can reveal that there is a North Yorkshire Tory MPs WhatsApp group. Ooh. So we, there's quite a, there's quite an interesting debate <laughs> going on on the what. <laughs> So we've got, obviously, all the North Yorkshire MPs are sort of occasionally sort of... Um, having a chat having on Having a chat uh, about Yeah, it, so yeah. we'll see how that progresses. Which is good, because we don't get to see people in the same way we used to when no. we were voting in the lobbies, all crowded in there. You could guarantee, if you want to see Rishi, you knew he'd be there at 10 o'clock for the vote. And <laughs> it's not like that now, necessarily. Cool, it seems like a age ago that you see all those pictures of everyone cramming into the lobbies to vote. Mm. But I'm sure we'll be back to it, well, hopefully next year fingers crossed let's hope so anyway um robert thank you so much for joining us on pods own country it's been a pleasure having you on thank you very much thank you so much for listening to pods own country the yorkshire post political podcast i've been jerry scott the yorkshire post westminster correspondent and you can find this podcast wherever you would usually find your podcasts whether that's itunes Spotify, Google Play. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review and share and subscribe because it really helps to boost us in the charts and we'll speak to you next week. If you crave technology that leads, if you appreciate design that inspires, if you want driving dynamics that excite, meet the one. The remarkable BMW 1 Series, featuring front and rear parking sensors, cruise control, fully digital display with navigation and real-time traffic information, along with BMW's latest voice control intelligent personal assistant, all a standard. Meet the one with your own exclusive video consultation. Book yours today at bmw.ie.